Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the question and answer session of Sunday the 24th of February 2013. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis and Pastor Lou Guadano. I haven't really seen a lot of these, but there was a couple that was obviously meant strictly for you, Brother Lou. Okay. <laughs> we don't have to start with uh, and they say, he's, this one says, I have a problem, and I'm in trouble. Do you have any mafia connections that could help me with this? <laughs> <laughs> we try not to have contact with that side of the family too much. My dad used to run away to the cousin's house, though, and he would burn the numbers for the racket, you know, that they would be running and all this life stuff. So there is a little bit more truth to that than I want to admit. Well, this one doesn't have a name, but I can tell by the question that it's obvious who it's for. Because uh, it says, I don't meet many pastors with a full head of hair. Could I ask what shampoo you use? And the one, the one next, the, the next one is, what products do you use on your hair? So your hair has made a lasting impression, brother. <laughs> oh, man. It does not matter. Whatever is there for shampoo. And then, um, you know, I don't, I use what, I, I use Evangel in my hair. No, I don't. <laughs> the evangelist stuff, No. Uh, we used to joke about that, but but no, I just put some, you know, whatever mousse in there, and away it goes. Okay, question. What is the Christian, quote, party line, unquote, of other religions such as Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, etc.? Are we right and they are wrong? Well, I hope so. That's <laughs> what you know, I guess that, uh, you know, I'll just uh, uh, just say briefly that uh, there are many, many religions of the world, and if I thought any one of them was uh, uh, was right, <laughs> that's where I'd be, not where I'm at. So it's kind of it's hard, you know, the fact is Christianity is a faith. It's not around a set of rules or religious creeds, but it's around a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, for me, that's just like some of you may have seen, and some of you actually took part uh, in the uh, discussions with our uh, um, Islamic friend that was with us a few nights and was here last night. And, uh, and of course, we had many, many, many long discussions with him. And, uh, and one of the things that finds hard for him to understand because he really believes that if I were to read the Quran more that, uh, that I would come to realize that uh, I could believe that Islam and Christianity are both right and that they can somehow work hand in hand. Uh, I can only say that I believe with all my heart that the Bible is the Word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We're not being harsh. Believe with all my heart that God, the Creator that put us here, uh, He's the one. And there's no other religion in the world uh, that, uh, you know, they can all go back to a founder somewhere. Uh, and they can they can find that person. But uh, uh, ours is the only one that doesn't have a grave. Amen. <laughs> Uh, he's alive, and uh, he, he is our Savior. And yes, you know, again, we have to recognize they feel the same way about us that most of us would feel about them. Nothing he says is going to change my mind because my faith is solid, grounded in what I believe. 
Um, but one of the hardest things when we're dealing with them is they've been taught the same thing, and they were wrong. But the simple truth is, if you know, the truth will set you free. Uh, if you search for God, the Bible tells you if you search for Him uh, with all your heart diligently, that you will find Him. And uh, and I, you know, again, I make no bones about the fact that my faith is in Jesus Christ and Him alone, and I believe that there is no other way. I've tried to tell Ali just like last night. I love him. I believe that Muslims have the right to believe just like anybody else, the Buddhist, any. We all make those choices. I choose Jesus Christ, and I'm willing to stake my eternity upon that. You'll make your own choices. I, like I've told Ali, I said, you know, Ali, I said, I can't twist your arm and make you a Christian. I said, I'd be lying. I said, I care enough for you that I wish you were a Christian because I believe your eternity depends upon it. Uh, but I respect the fact that you've made your choice, and we will both, uh, regardless of what we believe, we will stand before God one day, and I'm going to stand with what I believe, and you're going to stand with what you believe. So uh, whatever you believe, uh, you better believe it strong enough to stake your eternity on it. I do, and there's no question about that. I won't take much time. I'll just uh, maybe just add to, maybe go a step further. If you do believe the Bible, and if you do believe what Jesus said in the Bible, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh to the Father but by me. That is a very straightforward statement. Jesus is the only way. The Bible in the New Testament identifies what a New Testament church should be. It's a New Testament church model. And um, a couple of the main things that stick out is, of course, the Scriptures are, are you know, primary. They're our final, you know, word. They're, they're our authority for faith and practice. Some uh, churches claimed that, but the other two, you know, probably, and there's more, but the other two key components to identify what a New Testament church should be is first, an autonomous church, a church that does not have a hierarchy, a church that is not, doesn't have like a denominational center, like a pope or somebody running it. If you study history, you'll find that there, there is no church that I know of that was an independent church that followed the Bible, that persecuted other people to the point of death and all of that. And uh, you see that with the Protestants and, and, and other groups, groups that may even, you know, know Jesus. And so there's the autonomous church, and there really is the proper baptism baptism, you know, first salvation, the Bible teaches in the New Testament, then baptism. And so those are, those are key things to look for. Are they autonomous? You know, is there a hierarchy? Is there bishop so-and-so or whatever you want to call it, you know, running this? Or, or are they autonomous like the, the church says? So if the Bible's true, then we need to look for what, the, you, know, what you know, it says that way. I would say it like this. Um, a lot has to do with the Bible. We study the character of God because we have the Bible. We have the scriptures. When someone says, um, is Allah, for example, you know, God, and, and we all believe in a higher power. We all believe in God. We believe in the same God, they say. I used to tell my students in, in, uh, school, in, in uh, the Sunday school, I don't know if you know who Shaquille O'Neal is. He's a big black basketball player. Now, all the guys from the inner city know who he is. So I would say like this. I know Shaquille O'Neal. Who knows Shaquille O'Neal? Their hands would go up. 
And then I would begin to start describing Shaquille O'Neal. I'll say, let me describe him. Let me tell you his attributes. He's a real passive guy. He's real quiet. He's about five foot tall. He's got, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes. And, then, and by then, they'd be going, what? No, that's not Shaquille O'Neal. And I would say, how do you know that? Because the way you're describing him, the attributes and everything that he is, is incorrect. If you look at what these other gods are, you will find that it is not the God of the Bible. The Bible is a very particular book, and it, and it describes how God is, his character, and that's not something, as I was mentioning upstairs, that you can just point to a verse and say, there's the character of God. But you need to take time and study the Bible, and you'll start to see his nature, how he moves, what he does. And then when you pick up the Quran or, or another, uh, you know, you pick up uh, the Book of Mormon, you start to say, this God is, this is they can't be the same person. They're, they're opposed. You know what I'm saying? And so... The answer to the question is complex, but I think that's the best way that I can describe it. Okay, the next question is, are there different levels of eternal punishment because it seems harsh that everyone receives the same? Um, well, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 yeah, it's a good question, and there's a, there's a lot, lot involved there. Um, let me try to put it simply like the. I, I guess it's kind of like that. Uh, I don't see where's Gareth you know, here a few weeks ago when I was asked to speak to see you at uh, at Birmingham City University and uh, to cover the topic in uh, about a half hour on how could a loving God send anybody to a place like hell. Uh, you know, I, I lost before I started. You know, but uh, uh, the thing is, let me let me put it like this. You know, there are eternal abiding places, heaven and hell. They're not our prize for being a Christian, and they're not our punishment for being a lost person. Uh, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. Sin brings death. Uh, through Jesus Christ, we can have eternal life. Um, one sin is all it took to destroy everything that God created on this earth. Uh, and so, therefore, we know nothing about heaven or hell. We have tiny, tiny, tiny glimpses in God's Word. Uh, we can't begin to comprehend. There's there's no way our mind can even begin to understand what heaven is like because everything that we know in this life and we try to understand something else, we have to relate it to what we do know and understand. <laughs> uh, we, don't any, we don't know anything uh, that's not been cursed and touched by sin. Uh, everything, and, and, you know, the Bible uses simply the most precious things that we know of in this life, if you would. Uh, you know, when you're talking about the gates that are, that are, that are made out of jewels and you're talking about the, the streets of gold and all these things, those are the most precious things that we know in this life. And so the only thing that this picture can liken to is that which we know is the finest, the nicest, the best, the supreme of all that we have. Uh, but we can't even begin to comprehend uh, a place without sin and without the curse of sin. Um, hell is a place. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, it wasn't prepared for human man. Uh, the truth is, is that everything's got to spend eternity somewhere. Sin brings death. Death is your reward for sin. Um, you can't have light and darkness in the same place. Uh, the Bible itself tells us that the darkness, it cannot apprehend, it cannot overcome the light. 
Uh, I don't care how dark it is. When you put the light on, light overcomes the darkness. You'll see the light. We could go through many things like that. And all I'm saying is heaven cannot exist without a hell because heaven cannot exist where there's even one sin. Do we understand hell? We don't even begin to comprehend and understand hell. Just as the Bible uses the things that we know that are the greatest, the most precious, the nicest, the sweetest things we know to describe heaven, uh, when Jesus described hell, he used the most horrible place that, that those could understand, Gehenna, which was outside of the gates of Jerusalem, and it was a place where all the rubbish and all the dump, where the kids and centuries before had been sacrificed to the devil, where the, the fires burned all the time. It was the most horrible place that, uh, that could be used to describe this place called hell. Hell is real, um, and, but we don't even begin to understand it, and we just know that everything that everything that is not righteous and holy is in the place called hell. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Death is what you have as your reward for not having the Lord Jesus Christ. Death is going to spend eternity in hell. Everything will spend eternity somewhere with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ, or with Satan and his angels. They are abiding places. And you can't begin to comprehend the place where all the sin, all the wrong, the most horrible things that are so far beyond what your mind can even imagine, everything, that's where it has to be. It can't be in heaven. It's all in hell. Heaven is something that, again, your mind can't go the other way. So, you know, the, the simple truth is, is God wants to give you life. And if you've got life in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have eternity with him in the place where there is no sin, no death, no curse. If you don't have Jesus Christ, there's only you've got to, you've got to abide somewhere, and it's where everything that is not righteous and holy is, and we can't begin to comprehend that. And further answer to the question, yes, the Bible teaches us clearly heaven and hell, that God is a just God, he's a right God. Everybody's not going to be punished the same. I believe the Bible clearly lets us see that there are different levels of punishment, just as all Christians are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and there'll be different crowns that are rewarded there. What do we need them for? Well, we can start to speculate on all the things we want to do with them and give them back to Jesus and everything else. The simple truth is, is the Bible shows us that, uh, uh, that, that, that yes. And, and, you know, I guess one of the things that helps me to even begin to understand heaven and hell and eternity is just that I have enough faith in God and what he has done to prove his love for me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have such total, utter, complete faith in his word that I know without any shadow of a doubt, I can't, I, I'm a fool to even try to begin to understand it all, but I trust him completely. He is just. He is righteous. You've never met anybody in your life that's more fair than he is. And so I know he's got it right, and I trust him, and I understand. I understand, not because he's some ogre of a God that wants to send somebody to hell because they just were that one person that created the smallest sin that's ever been created, that one sin would destroy heaven. That one sin would destroy life. And so there is an eternal abiding place for it that we don't begin to comprehend, but it's where everything that's not holy and righteous will be. And I, I know where I want to be. 
Uh, and I know that that's with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe, you know, we don't even, even with heaven, you start to begin, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We, uh, we read in the story, you know, of the, of the, of the rich man and Lazarus. And we know that that, that, uh, that rich man lifted up his eyes being in torment. We know it was a horrible place. We know that he was conscious. We know that the thing on his mind above everything else was uh, for somebody to go back and to warn his brothers that they didn't have to come to the place that he was. We know that that's horrible. We, we know also that, that Lazarus was in Abraham's bosom, uh, that he was comforted, uh, that he was the one that maybe had been tormented in this life, but he was, he was in something totally different. We can get into a lot of theology as to what happened there. I, I believe that when the Lord Jesus Christ entered into the earth during those three days that he set those captives free, that uh, they are eternally with him in heaven right now. But I know one day the Lord's coming back for us. I know he's going to set up his reign here upon this earth. I know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. I know the new Jerusalem is going to come down to here. The only thing I can say is heaven is where God is. And where God is, there is no sin. There is nothing related to sin. And that's where I want to be. Uh, whether it's up there in the third heaven now, or when it's that new Jerusalem that comes down to here, I want to be with him where he's at and never have the consequences of sin anymore. Uh, and I believe that though we can't begin to understand it, whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell, eternity has to be spent somewhere. And thank God God's the one in control. Thank God of his justness, of his righteousness, and what he does, he does right. Amen. I just would say yes. Uh, the Bible says heaven and hell, uh, which is pretty much that's it. There's, you, there's no purgatory. <laughs> the Bible doesn't talk about purgatory. Heaven or hell, eternally with God, with your sins forgiven, or in hell in damnation. And the Bible talks about hell, and the Bible talks about um, death and hell were cast in a lake of fire, so it makes a reference there. There are some references that talk about greater damnation, greater condemnation, so if you want to say that there, there may be a hotter spot in hell or something, the Bible does make a few references that way. I don't really understand it. Um, but the major premise is heaven and hell, eternal life, eternal death. Well, I'm going to let you have this one, brother. <laughs> what are the best ways? It's a very serious question, actually. Uh, what are the best ways for giving up pornography? And would it be okay to ask a girlfriend or boyfriend for help? The Bible says that um, the Bible says to bear your burdens, but the Bible also says to bear each other's burdens. You know, bear ye one another's burdens is what the Bible says. So when you're in trouble and you seem like you can't get out, I mean, certainly we need to go to the Lord. We need to pray. I mean, that is that is paramount. But it is good to have someone that will go through the fire a little bit with you, someone that can check up on you a little bit and ask you how you're doing. When people are struggling, even with something like reading their Bible, it's good to have someone say, you know, um, how's everything going? Did you do good today? Did you have a bad day? And so, I mean, when you give in to the lust of the flesh, the more you give into it, the more, you know, your flesh desires it. The best way to kick anything is to try to put up some fences. I think that we're foolish if, if there's a problem with pornography. Get the computer out of a spot where you're there by yourself or wherever, or wherever you get into trouble, stay away from that. You know, if you're having trouble with drink, don't go walking by the bar and stand in there. You know what I'm saying? You're at the point almost of no return. 
And I think that you need to build up fences. And, you know, you may have to say, okay, i got to stay away from the Internet. i got to have the thing unplugged or whatever. Well, I still have work to do. Well, if you're really serious about it, you've got to try to make steps. Nothing just happens where all of a sudden you're not going to have the temptation. The Bible says that the flesh is weak. And it never says that the flesh will be strong, ever. So you've got to know that. The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. You put yourself into positions where you're going to, um, you know, constantly have that kind of stuff in front of you, you're putting yourself in a bad position. And we all have our things that trouble us. I think that each and every person has different challenges. We have different temptations, the Bible calls them. So no matter what the specific thing is, build up a fence, you know, get some help. Talking to a friend or someone like that is probably not the best thing. What happens a lot of times when a woman has trouble, she'll go to another woman that is of similar age and, you know, similar things, and she's looking for help. Well, really, she should be going to an older woman that's been through it that can give her some wisdom. If a young person is having trouble with pornography or anything, he should come to his pastor, or he should come to someone that is a trusted man of God, someone that can keep those things, you know, private and and all of that. You know, you don't have to always tell everybody, you know, what sin you're doing, but sometimes it does help to confess it to somebody and say, look, I've, I've, I've tried to take this to the Lord, and I've struggled with this. More and more, I see folks having trouble with those kind of things. And it is a very real thing, and it can be very destructive in your marriages and other things, and it gives way to all kinds of other troubles. So my advice is deal with it like you would any other sin. Confess it, the Bible says, forsake it, but set up a strategy that will build up some fences. But I definitely would say if you're younger, if you have a Christian father or someone that, that can help you, um, and when I say Christian father, I mean like your dad. I don't mean like the clergy, you know, or, or your preacher, okay? You know what I'm saying? Father Curtis, come see Father Curtis. That's right. Um, I think that's about all I have to say, I think. Yeah, I don't think, you know, I would just simply add the same thing up. You know, the verse came to mind as he was talking there. I have told our church many times because you've got to realize whoever you are and whatever your weakness is, you're just like everybody else. We all deal with the flesh every day of our lives. We learn to deal with it. And that's part of, you know, there's so many principles in Scripture to help us do that. And even... Even in the model prayer where he, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'd say that just reiterating that over the years, so many people that have come with problems and, and, and pornography being one of them, uh, that same thing, that they, they come knowing that they've got a problem, but yet they keep going down to that same corner shop where the top shelf is filled with them, you know, and they know that uh, when they go in there that they can't resist and will find somewhere else to buy whatever it is you need to buy, you know. Keep yourself away from that temptation. I mean, people in the church know here, you know, I've, I've been married 36 years, and I thank God for, you know, sorry, guys, I know I've got the best wife in all the world, you know, uh, and she's put up with me, which is evidence of it. Uh, the simple truth is, you know, is, is I have 
a very close loving relationship with with a lot of the uh, the women and young ladies in this church but uh, you know I would not go to their home by myself during the day and be there alone with that uh, female person no matter how much I trusted them and me because to me that's just foolish um, you know avoid those things don't put yourself in situations uh, that can either go wrong or I guess what the devil doesn't care how he gets you and he doesn't care if it's a truth or a lie uh, as long as he can destroy you, then he'll try to destroy you. Uh, the Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. You know, there again, I think he's already... Re- 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 <laughs> he's, he's already said it many times, and I would reiterate it, <laughs> that uh, uh, there are the right people that you should talk to, not because somebody else is... Uh, uh, the spiritual Godhead of the uh, uh, the church and Father so-and-so. But uh, uh, as a church, if a church could learn to love each other in such a way that instead of looking at everybody else's faults, we all realize we've got our own. And instead of trying to hide those things because somebody's going to think we're less spiritual, we could say, hey, I'm struggling with this right now. That's what prayer meetings should be about. I've got to struggle. Sometimes it may be something you need to spell out. Sometimes you may not get those around you praying with you praying for you don't seem like you've got to be so super spiritual that there's no struggles nothing going on in your life we've all got them Uh, don't be so prideful that you aren't willing to confess to others i'm struggling right now please help me pray for this the devil will figure out where your achilles heel is at he'll figure out where he can best strike you and so yes with pornography or whatever it is you know Try to stay away from it. Try to avoid. Try to to seek the spiritual help and, and make sure that those that you share with, don't try to care it yourself, but make sure you choose the right people uh, that can genuinely help you with that and pray with you over it. Amen. Just as you're getting help, um, the Bible says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are of an enemy are deceitful. Again, people try to go to where they feel comfortable with someone that they feel comfortable with. You might be wiser to go with someone that really does care about you and that you might, you know, a friend can wound you at the right time in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and so we need that. So that's why you go to the preacher or someone like that that really does care. Here, the next question... uh... Well, why does suffering happen? Um, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? We, we, we find this worded a lot of ways a lot of times. And, you know, you can oversimplify it, but bottom line is, first of all, we've got to recognize that uh, all suffering is a result of sin. We live in a sinful world. It was sin that brought death. Can you imagine? We can't even begin to comprehend what the Garden of Eden was like before sin entered in. Uh, so sin is all around us and suffering. Uh, we have to comprehend, I, folks. It's not just a a scripture in the in the Bible, but the Bible says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. All things. You know that that becomes very hard to begin to comprehend. All things. That doesn't mean everything that happens in your life except one event. All things work together for good. Truth is, you might be suffering because you might be under discipline. 
the Bible teaches you, you know, that if you go out there and, and, and you can sin and that uh, God doesn't, uh, uh, doesn't do anything about it, well, the Bible uses a very strong word in our King James Bible there. He says you're a, a bastard and none of his. You're fatherless. You don't belong to him. Um, you know, God's, God will bring that again, just like we discipline our children. He, we don't discipline our child so we can see it cry and suffer and be in pain. We discipline them to correct them, that they might learn, that they might be better people, that they might avoid greater dangers. And some suffering is for our own good, for the for, for discipline. Some suffering is for our strengthening and our growing because God has something for us down the road that we need to be strengthened for. Um, suffering comes from, I guess, sometimes the, the hardest ways is for us to, to grasp it is when we see suffering for some of the best people that we know, and yet we see them suffer and go through some terrible, terrible things. Um, whether whether God is allowing it in your life for your good, look, you know, we have so many, you know, so many examples in Scripture, and of course, none greater than Job. Uh, you know, you know, to, to try to grasp and understand, you know, that, uh, you know, that, uh, yeah, God allowed these things to come in His life. And nobody around him, his best friends, didn't understand. They all had the wrong ideas, you know. You know, he had done something horrible and terrible, and that's why he was suffering. That wasn't it at all. That wasn't the case. Um, but in the end, he was multiplied with more than he ever ever had to begin with. And uh, and so, uh, uh, you know, it is, it is hard. Sometimes we look and we see people suffering and hurting, and we say, why them? Some of those things you'll never answer and I'll never answer. But again, folks, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I've got a God that I trust so much, I believe it, that if it's happening to a Christian, it's not going to even be allowed in your life unless something good is going to come from it, whether that's to correct you, whether that's to strengthen you. You know, the Apostle Paul said that he had these thorns in the flesh that he had prayed three times to have them removed and they hadn't. Why? Because... To keep him from being prideful, <laughs> to keep him from becoming—we uh, had a, a saying about him becoming too big for his own pants. Uh, you know, the simple truth was is that uh, he needed to be kept down a few notches, and 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 God used that in his life. Well, that thorn in the flesh that he had may have seemed like a horrible thing, but it was well, well, well worth the price if it was able to keep him in a, in a humble way that could be used for the Lord. I don't really have too much to add. Um, the Bible says that, you know, our strength is made perfect, or his strength is made perfect in weakness. When we're weak, he is strong. One thing I know about the character of God is he's doing a lot of things. He knows everything, and there's a lot more going on than we realize all the time. There's the example that he gave about the blind man. It wasn't that he had committed sin, but God was doing a bunch of different things. There was a purpose. There was a plan. God is an orderly God, so there's a reason. Now, we may never know the reason, but there is always a reason. God lets us see some insight at times. You see the children of Israel. They don't go right into the, the promised land. Matter of fact, if you study it, they take the long way around, and then, of course, we know they wander and all that. Some of that's their doing. But God specifically gave the reason, he said, because the land would swallow them up. You know, if they go too fast, bad things are going to happen. So though they had sufferings, yet God's grace was sufficient. He fed them, he clothed them, he took care of them. That's God's purpose. That's God's character. 
but there was a purpose, there was a plan. It wasn't really, on the surface you would say, they're suffering. What is God doing? But in hindsight, God is actually doing something for them. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we go 10 years, 20 years down the road, and we see, look what God did. I share the uh, testimony of Ron Hamilton, Patch the Pirate. We sing that song, Rejoice in the Lord. You know, oh, rejoice in the Lord. He makes no mistakes. That was the, one of the first songs he wrote. He found out this young man who was a musician found out he had cancer in his eye. And when he woke up, the doctor had to remove his eye. Here's this young musician that is full of life. And what am I going to do now? He's got a patch on his eye. Well, if you know the story, you know he became Patch the Pirate and wrote many children's things. And years later, he's still writing music and everything. The Lord used his life greatly. In the beginning, you would say, what is this suffering? Why is God doing this? You know, he's living right. He's doing right. All of this. We have the luxury of looking back and, and saying, look what God did. And so we have, you know, that ability to look back at history. Sometimes we can see the reason why. Sometimes we just can't see the reason why. But I guarantee God knows why. And so that's just maybe a little bit more to think about, that it's not just, you know, our sufferings. When we're weak, he's strong. He's doing it for a purpose. And I, like Brother uh, Curtis said, I have faith in the Lord that he, he has a purpose. He has a plan. Sometimes when you're in that dark, you know, corner, it seems like there is no reason for this. But be assured there is. The Bible bears that out. We're going to have to move faster. So many of these things we could say so much about, but we're just going to have to really touch on them. This next one simply is a question, how are we to use personal provocation as instructed in Hebrews 10:24? I'm going to read Hebrews 10:24 says and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works but verse 24 is actually the middle of a sentence uh, the sentence covers three verses there uh, and it begins in verse 23 let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, encouraging, building up, if you would, one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Um, I'll say this, referring just simply back to the sermon this morning. Brother Lou talked in the sermon this morning about the assembling of ourselves together. What about trying coming to church and instead of figuring out What's it going to do for me, and what am I going to get out of it, and whether I need it, with the whole attitude of what can I do for somebody else? What can I do to be a blessing? What can I do to encourage somebody else that's down? Because the Lord can use you to be an encouragement to somebody today if you come in looking for that. And part of this is what the importance of our assembling together the importance of us encouraging. It's easy to get down and, you know, this person, you know, man, oh, man, you know, how many times, you know, they're going to do that. They mess up there and they mess up there and they mess up there. and they, You know, the simple truth is if we get our eyes off of all the, the problems, the negatives, the criticisms, if we see somebody stumbling, somebody that's having a difficulty, try to lift them up, try to encourage them. The Bible gives us all kind of ways that, uh, that that's to, 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 to take place. But, uh, but yeah, provoking one another to love. Uh, you know, the greatest, the greatest way in the world uh, to get somebody else to love 
Remember what we've been learning about that act of love. Love them. <laughs> Show your love. You do the loving, and I'll guarantee you that uh, uh, that'll bring more love in return than anything else you could possibly do. I'm good. You covered it. Well, brother, if you were given the powers of God for one hour, what would you do with it? Mine's simple. I'd just make a mess and a big one. I have no idea. I... <laughs> Kind of hard to imagine, isn't it? <laughs> okay, in the New Testament, statements like Jesus is Lord, and there is one name given among men whereby men may be saved, paraphrased, uh, are reformed phrases about Caesar. Uh, they are highly political. Question, how involved in politics should Christians be? Wow. <laughs> um How involved in politics should Christians be? Um, well, I think, I think there, there, again, there's a lot of territory to cover there. Number one, you've got to keep in mind that when Jesus Christ was upon this earth and, and, and uh, the New Testament was being written that, uh, you know, he was living in a country that was under the power of another, of another government to, uh, at the time of Rome uh, that didn't, uh, didn't have their own freedoms and whatnot. And yet he taught us to be in submission to those that are in authority over us. He taught us to pray for our leaders. The very first thing, you know, is that I, the Bible teaches us that God is the one that has set men in authority and the one that has broke them down. You know, I could look sometimes and I'd say, God, do you really know what you're doing here? <laughs> the simple truth is God does it for all kinds of reasons. Just read through your Bible. Sometimes uh, it's for the blessing of a country and the furtherance of something good. And sometimes it's for a curse to bring them down to their knees and, and, and all kinds of reasons God has for. I know that first of all and foremost, I am commanded to pray for those leaders, whether I like them, whether they're of my stripe or my brand or whatever else, I should be praying for them and that God's will be accomplished through them. Um, and I believe that we find that as far as Christians, I'm not sure what the questioner means as far as being involved in politics as far as, you know, going out and running to be an MP or being involved in politics as far as really putting forth our, our, our views and whatnot. Um, you know, you can be involved in politics in a lot of ways. I don't think you've got the right to, uh, to complain uh, if you don't have the gumption to stand up for what you believe. Uh, if you don't go to the box and vote for somebody, then don't complain about the person that's in there. Uh, but uh, I believe I believe that it's one of the greatest privileges in this natural life to live in a free land where that we have a vote, where that we have the freedom of speech, where that we can put forth those views. I think Christians should be very involved from that sense. But we're not going to reform the world through reforming the government. You know, Jesus Christ is what's going to change the world. Um, but as far as being active in political... Um, you know, as, as Christians, I believe that we should that we should stand for the biblical principles. Um, you know, what happens if you live in a land? I'll, I'm going to tell you, I struggle with some things. Um, I love every human being alive as far as their souls and being saved. I struggle with these moves where that uh, gay marriage is being made legal. I struggle with things like 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 abortion being made legal right up to, you know, all kind. I believe that you know that that a. I believe in that it is a human being at conception, and I, I believe that God made a man and a woman to be husband and wife. That doesn't mean I don't love those people and they need to be saved, but I'm not going to condone what they're doing. The Bible has a lot to say about those things. 
I don't think it's wrong for me to speak out on those things. I think Christians should speak out. At the same time, what happens when we live in a nation where the majority of people have actually gone and said, yes, that's what we want, and yes, that's the way we go? Well, you're either going to have to abide by the laws of the land until they go contrary to the Word of God. You know, there's one thing living in a country that uh, um, that allows homosexual activity and you partaking in homosexual activity. Uh, there's there's a huge difference in a lot of these things. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, politics are going to affect all of our lives. But politics isn't what's going to, I believe with all my heart, that our greatest emphasis has to be sharing Jesus Christ. That's what's going to change. If those politicians knew Jesus Christ, they'd have different views on a lot of these things. We're not going to change all their views, um, but I believe we should stand for what's right, and that we should put our greatest emphasis should be upon showing them Jesus Christ and pointing them to him. I agree. I uh, Great Commission, that is paramount. So let's not... We discuss things with people. Sometimes the major premise gets put to the side. So we must keep the major premise. I, I agree with Brother Curtis. The best thing that could happen is people getting born again. That being said, I would say that the Bible teaches stewardship. God gives you something, whether it's a family, whether it's a country, whether involvement in the state, whatever. God gives you influence. God, you, you are a steward of the things that God has entrusted you with. You should do everything that you can to not only take care of that, but to make it better. That's what the Bible model is. You invest. you got so many talents, God's looking for a return. So I believe it's our you know, job to... New York State is one of the most liberal states around. It's our job to do everything we can to change that. Now, again, major premise is through the Bible and through the Great Commission. But there are things that we can simply do and things that uh, we can do um, a few times a year. And so I think each person needs to ask the Lord, Lord, what do I do? Because all of my time, I've only got so many hours in a day. How much do I spend, you know, with my family? How much do I spend, you know, doing, you know, uh, actively preaching or doing this thing or reading my Bible? You've got to get, you know, God's mind on those things, and every day you have to do it. But, but again, keep the principle of stewardship in mind because you do have a responsibility to what God has entrusted you with. Yeah, see, I, I don't understand the particulars of your question, and I'm not familiar with the politics here in England, but that's why I present this principle of stewardship. I'll just use my home state, okay? Right now there's a bunch of legislation trying to be try to be passed for a bunch of things that are against what the bible dictates we have there's hundreds of lobbyists in new york state there's two that stand for the word of god two so for me to um i've got to say lord what would you have me to do the lord's made it clear to me i told our church we must stand behind these men so when they say, and they don't do it all the time, they say, we need you down at the state capitol. We need you to meet with your senator. We need you to meet with this person and say, I represent all these people, and I've come across half this state, which speaks volumes to them. When they say that, we try to throw our weight behind it because we're not just going to lie down and say, 
well, the end of the world's coming and just, you know, do whatever you're going to do. We have a responsibility to stand up like the preacher of, preachers of old and say what you're doing is not right. But it's not like we're just going to say that's wrong. We're going to go and try to do something that will actually change it. And so we want to stand. Again, I don't know the politics here. I don't know even all the processes. But if you can do something and be a voice, that's what you want to be. And uh, certainly we have to obey the law. I mean, there's many uh, examples in history that people had, you know, revolted and all of that. But the issue is, is when it goes against the Bible, then we ought to obey God rather than man. That's what the Bible says. And um, there's no getting around that. You know, you have to choose whether you're going to obey the Lord or obey man. But the Bible does say that if they tell you to do something that's not contrary to the Bible, that you're supposed to obey them. They say you're supposed to drive down the road at 55 miles an hour. You're supposed to drive down at 55, not at 75. <laughs> that's just what it says. And so um, does that answer your question at all? Why do we play piano during invitations? Can it lead to emotional decisions? Um, well, I mean, I guess that uh, invitations can be given in a lot of different ways. Certainly here, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Uh, invitations, you know, are given. There's, uh, I think that we need to be careful not to try to play on people's emotions. At the same time, I think that uh, uh, an invitational song, a lot of times, the words themselves can have a lot to do. I think that uh, that music sometimes can help in a good way as well as far as... Uh, uh, our, our focus and our attention on the on the right things and, and taking other things out. I would I would just say simply that I try to be very careful. Number one, I do not want to get to extremes on either not inviting people to make a decision and to make to respond to what God has said to them. Um, at the same time, I don't want to get into a situation where I am playing on people's emotions and trying to get people to do things outwardly that mean nothing inwardly. Uh, and it's not always an easy thing. I think that uh, um, any preacher has to be very careful. Uh, certainly the Bible uh, has no inhibitions about challenging people to do something with what they've heard. Uh, and, uh, and I think that many churches shy away from that today because they're afraid of, uh, of uh, rejection and criticism and things like that. Um, and I think that, yes, I, I don't know who you are that wrote it, but I think... I've certainly seen two where invitations where that uh, uh, music has been used in a way uh, that could play on people's emotions and on and on and on and and things that uh, uh, and so you know it's it's a very personal thing and, and and invitations are given in different ways and some right and some wrong but uh, you know I would just say you know I can only say from a personal standpoint that uh, I wouldn't want to be play on people's emotions but I think sometimes. One of the things that the devil will try to do during an invitation is to distract in any way that he can. Uh, and if we are singing a song or playing music, it's to try to keep people focused. Um, and uh, sometimes sometimes we can do that better by just quiet, everybody's head bowed, everybody thinking, everybody concentrating. Sometimes music is playing. I try to do what I feel is, is appropriate for uh, for that particular moment. I think it's a complex question, um, but um, I wish I had more time to talk about music. 
I'm a musician. I'm someone that studies music. I uh, direct music. That's uh, what I've done for the last 10 years with a couple of churches. We have a big orchestra. I really study music. And so I think it's, it's more an issue of what is proper. What there's, there really is, there, music can be helpful or music cannot be helpful. And it's really in the music itself. There's music that makes you march. There's music that um, is worshipful. There's music that really is, you know, makes, you know, you fleshly. And so I'm not so concerned at invitation time. I think in the, the, the generation that we live in, I don't see an overwhelming amount of decisions being made. I'm not as concerned that someone's going to make an emotional decision. Most people, you can't, you couldn't crack them, you know, if you... I mean, if you, you know what I mean, a crying baby could be up there and you're not going to affect them. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't, I'm not sure what we're worried about. I mean, I, I do understand. I understand the charismatic movement and all that, but I would say that really the music itself is, is what is causing, and it's a mixed message. And so the proper music at the proper time, have a contemplative time or whatever, I think that the music actually, like Brother Curtis says, will help. And I've been in many services, I'm not afraid of it, where music, God will use that music to crack someone's heart, even before any preaching. And I can show you things in history, and you, it's God moving. It's not flesh. It's not emotionalism. You see the evidence of people's lives. When somebody gets saved, we see evidence, don't we? When, we, when we, something real happens, we see evidence of it. And I've been there where some girl's singing a song, and it's, it's a spirit-filled song, and God, you know, gets a hold of someone's heart. And so um, I'm not so concerned about that. You know, certainly people have to do uh, things for the right reasons. But, um, again, a, a kind of a hard question. Yep, I'll just say like most things, it can be used good, bad, right ways, wrong ways, and... Uh, uh, let's just try to be sure that, uh, you know, I've seen too many emotional false decisions in my life, and I don't want to be a part of them. Uh, you know, I want people, you know, I've had people accuse me sometimes. I had one guy one time thought I was trying to talk his daughter out of being saved. Yes, uh, I said, don't worry, Lou. I said, you know, I said, no. I said, I just want to make sure she understands what she's doing, you know. Uh, so we don't want to make it harder for people, but we want to, uh, we want to try to help people to make the right choice. Is it right for women to talk back to their husband? No. I didn't really mean that. <laughs> it de- it's like it depends on how you talk back. <laughs> I think you got a good point. Define talking back. You know, we talked about that respect thing. God says, you know, we're, we're to submit. And the Bible says that we're to submit each other to each other, the Bible says. So it's not just the wife. God specifically tells the wife. He always tells the harder, you know, tells somebody what the harder thing is, makes that the big thing in their mind. But we're supposed to prefer the other. So to just, you know, as we say, talking back, obviously that's not correct. And there's, there's a Bible way to do it, and we just need to do it the Bible way. Yeah, you know, the same, you, know you can say, is it right for a child to talk back to its parent? Well, the simple answer is no, but, you know, sometimes a child should be able to talk 
to their parent if they don't understand, if they've got a query, but not in a disrespectful way. And that same, that same passage that tells the woman to submit to the husband tells the man to love the wife in the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So, uh, uh-oh, you got your the wife sitting next to you. You better be careful back there. <laughs> no, the simple truth is, is that, again, that, that same respect goes both ways. And, and you know, the, the thing is there's a right and wrong ways to say everything. And, you know, pardon the pun from this morning, God didn't call a bunch of Hitlers in the homes, you know, to, uh, uh, to, to, to drive their, uh, uh, their wives with whips and, and all this. Ultimately, men, the responsibility falls back to you as the head of the household. God has an order. And the man is the head of the household. Uh, but uh, if you're loving your wife the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, I don't think she's going to find it hard to be submissive and have the right relationship. It's important within a home. But uh, yeah, talking back is wrong to anybody if it's not done in a respectful fashion. But uh, a man that doesn't want his wife's input... Um, you're going to be in a pretty bad state because uh, that input ought to be in, in both ways. In reference to the question, if everyone in church was like you, what state would the church be in? Uh, that was a statement that I made during the invitation this morning, I guess. You know, just, you know, we asked the same thing, you know, as far as having that impact in your world, uh, whether it's in your home, your workplace, your school, your church. And one of the questions I asked, if everyone in church was like you, what state would the church be in? Sometimes it's so easy, you know, again, we're looking at what it's doing for me and, and, uh, that it doesn't matter when churches are closing down around us all the time. Um, it says, if we think we are currently right with God, how do we motivate others if our example does not seem to be making a difference? If you figure out the answer to that one, I would sure like to know it. Amen. <laughs> Uh, pastor struggle is probably, you know, more than anyone because, you know, we get up there and, and literally folks, I'm not exaggerating when I say, you know, that when I preach my heart out to people, I'm preaching with a passion that comes from a genuine love and care, knowing that I'm not up there because I'm more spiritual and holy. I probably felt God more than they did yesterday. It takes more of God's grace to put me in the pulpit and, and, and preach or probably as much as it did to save me. Amen. Uh, the simple fact is, is, you know, you're not up here. You know, you don't deserve to be up there. You know that God knew what he was going. Why did God want me anyway? You know, I don't know. I honestly, and I'm not trying to be fun. I, I have absolutely no idea whatsoever. Um, and of course, one of the frustrating things so many times is that, uh, you know, you love the Lord with all your heart. You know, you're trying to faithfully serve him. You know, you're trying to do the things to the best ability that you can. And yet it doesn't seem to make a difference. And all I can say is keep on keeping on. You, The only way that you're ever going to impact them for the good is not by talking, but by doing, by acting, by living it. You know, we sing that song around here sometimes, you know, that uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. Uh, and one of the verses says, you know, though no one uh, follows, still I will follow. If I if I have to go it alone, I will. And, and we talked at one, oh, I can't remember now, it must have been in one of the sermons I preached lately about the, you know, we, we've got to be willing to go by ourselves. And yet that's not the way God wants it. He sent them out two by two. Uh, he assembled them together, you know, in, 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 in local churches. He doesn't want you to have to go out alone, but you ought to be willing to do it alone. And, and you keep loving, you keep doing what's right. You keep doing the best and you hope that it does because if you get your eyes on what anybody else is or is not doing, then, uh, you're going to be out of shape yourself. I just want to add to what Brother Curtis said. I'm not 
I'm not going in a different direction or countering anything that he said. I just want to add to it. Because I've seen uh, people have the wrong attitude where they'll show up to prayer meeting and then they'll say, I don't know why anyone else doesn't show up to prayer meeting. Or they'll go soul winning and say, I don't know why anyone else doesn't go to soul winning. And they have the wrong attitude. And it's more than just um, doing. We do live by example. But as we learned all this week, we need to love people. We need to communicate to them. We need to disciple them. That's the, the third portion of the Great Commission. We're supposed to we're supposed to lead them to the Lord, yes. Baptize them, yes. But we have, an oppor- we have a responsibility to disciple. What does that mean? Like Jesus, take them by the hand and say, you know, let me try to impact your life. That's a heavy thing. It's what's left out of churches, discipleship. And inevitably, I can take five guys and I can say, you guys go out and get some help and come back here. We're going to do a job. And two of the guys will come back and they've got an army. And the other three, they couldn't get anybody. And when I see that happen, it tells me these guys don't have influence. There's something in their personality. There's something in the way they're operating where they don't have that leadership with somebody else. And people will say, well, I'm just not a leader. You can lead and you can do it. Ultimately, it's up to that person. If you're targeting one person, I want them to be like Christ and I want them to do all this stuff. You're doing it the wrong way. You know, uh, if no one joins you, yes, yeah, still I will follow. And, you know, your relative may never get saved. That one may never come soul winning. But just like as if you witness to enough people, someone will get saved. If you have influence and you're trying to, you know, transform your life to what the Lord wants you to be, you will have some influence. You will have some leadership. You will be able to bring somebody with you. You may have to start by bringing someone to the restaurant. You may have to go sit in their home and have dinner with them. You may have to befriend them, but most people aren't willing to do that. They want to sit in church, and they want to sit there and say, no one's doing what I'm doing. They're not in prayer meeting. I'm this Pharisee, and that's a problem. So just consider those things. I don't mean to slam anybody. I'm just saying, you know, this is something to consider. Is it, is it that maybe there's something wrong with my influence? Lord, could you show me? Because, again, if we focus on others, an area that's outside of our control, we will be frustrated. But if we can look in and say, you know, if I do this a little better, you know, maybe things would be a little better. And the Lord will show you things in your life that you can change. And personality can be changed. You can change. You can be conformed to Christ. And so uh, just prayerfully consider those things. If God extended mercy and salvation to mankind, why hasn't he done it to the angels. Well, <laughs> I assume you're talking about the third of the angels that uh, uh, that left and were kicked out in that, uh, uh, with, uh, with Lucifer. Um, and uh, I think, you know, that all of us, I mean, you can look at all of God's creation. Why did he create man in his own image? Why has God shown us a grace like nothing else in all of creation? And I don't know. I don't know why God offered me mercy and salvation, uh, let alone the angels. Uh, angels are different. Angels are not human. Angels are not created in, in, in God's image like, like we are. Uh, and, uh, again, the study of angels is a very deep and, and, and excellent study. Uh, 
but uh, you know we know from scripture that the uh, the angels believe they know who God is they know who Jesus Christ is enough that they tremble um, but they don't have saving faith and uh, so uh, you know I, I I'm not trying to be short the only thing I know is you'd have to ask God that one one day unless uh, brother Lou's got a greater insight than I do uh, I, I, you know, I don't know why God showed anybody grace. I certainly don't know why He's chosen to show that grace and that mercy to mankind and, and not the angels. Um, the angels are a totally different category in what they did. <laughs> I think I think the question is posed in a way that makes it sound like God owes us. I mean, do you see how the question's posed? Like. He did for us, he should have done for the angels. Like, everything's fair, you know? And that's not the character of God. God's character is not everything is fair. I'll have mercy on who I'll have mercy. That's the character of God. And he is very merciful. He always treats us better than we deserve. But to come into the question and just, you know, to tell the God of the universe that he should do thus and so and all that and, and, and just be able to think that way, you know, I think... A, a better thing to contemplate is why did God show us mercy? We don't deserve it. And, um, you know, why he doesn't do everything exactly like this, I really can't answer. But I think that is more of the thought to think. And uh, be careful how we, you know, think about it. Because I think, again, we, we start off in the wrong place. That's really all I have to say. Well, this one, again, will have to be short and sweet. It really gets into a lot. Do you believe in visions? Uh, if not, why do many Muslims come to faith and attribute it to a vision of Jesus Christ? Well, you almost answer your own question from the standpoint, define visions. Uh, you know, in one place, the Scripture tells us without vision, we perish. If you're talking about foresight, if you're talking about being able uh, to uh, to see, you know, none of us are going anywhere without a vision of what's before and and much of that vision God paints for us himself as far as what is, is, is ahead of us and, and before us. If you're talking about a dream that you may have when you're asleep or awake or something like that, I would just say be careful from the standpoint that, uh, you know, even like you said here, well, if that's something of the Lord alone, why do Muslims come to faith? God's not going to give somebody a vision of Jesus Christ or bring them to, uh, to a Muslim faith. Um, you know, whatever. You know, does God deal with us and speak, speak with us personally? Now, you know, if, if, if God suddenly gave me a vision that something was going to be in your life, but he hadn't told you anything about it, I, I'd be worried if I come up and said, Brother Lou, God's told me that this is what you're going to do, but God hasn't said anything to you about it. On the other hand, for me personally, I've had things that have, that have happened that I know God was dealing with me in specific ways. You know, I've got three of my children here, and one of the toughest things I had to overcome in coming to this fine country of yours was my children. I was worried about them. I was in the Bible Belt. They were in their Christian schools and all the, and I didn't want them to bring them to this fine country to, to raise them in what I felt would be a much more unprotected society for them spiritually. But man, God and I had a real meeting in their, in the bedroom of those kids that night. And, uh, it couldn't have been more real than Brother Lou sitting here and me and him sitting here talking, uh, when God had to give me a good shaking and, and uh, help me to understand that, uh, that the center of his will was where I had to be if my children had any hope whatsoever, uh, that being out of his will and me trying to protect them, uh, that certainly wasn't the answer. 
uh, folks, I, that, the meeting God and I had in that bedroom, that, that couldn't have been more real, but that was for me and God. Uh, and I believe God can deal with us in any way he wants. And we find dreams and visions and things, but uh, uh, again, it all it's this is something that happens all through uh, much of a chaotic world out there. And I've always simply said, you know, that uh, I don't care what you think God might saying to you, be saying to you, by whom, in whatever way that uh, that it might be happening. Uh, if it's not confirmed in His Word, then don't believe it, don't accept it, don't take it, no matter what. He'll never take it. I believe that God has revealed Himself to us, and I believe that it's all right here if we'll take it and accept it and read it and know it and follow it. The problem is sometimes he has to give us a good shaking to get us to his word. He's not going to take us in a different direction. He's not. I don't believe that he's giving us more of his word. I don't think he's going beyond this. But I think sometimes he'll shake us to get us to personally uh, apply what is in here to our own personal lives. And so uh, uh, there's there, there's there's a lot of stuff and there's a lot of personal opinions on that. But uh, uh, I come right back to you know. My faith, my life, my walk, and I've been I've been all over the place with some of this, especially early in my Christian life. Um, my confidence, my faith is in this book that I hold in my hands, and I believe everything that I need for my Christian life is there. Uh, but I do believe that God certainly deals with me personally in all kinds of ways, through all kinds of people, uh, that I can know that it's Him. Uh, but that's between me and God. Uh, and uh, And I thank God that sometimes He loves me enough to to give me a bit of a shake in whatever way he needs to. Well, uh, one thing is sure, uh, God will never contradict his word. There's all kinds of uh, visions. There's all kinds of sightings of Mary. There's principalities and powers doing all kinds of things. And uh, the way you know what's going on is if, if it's contrary to the word of God, talking to the dead, all that stuff, you know, really the Bible, you know, deals with those things. Um, that being said, the Bible does say that, you know, basically paraphrasing the end times, you, you know, your uh, old men will, you know, see visions, your young men dream dreams, or vice versa, paraphrase um, that statement. I think God is God, and he can do whatever he wants to do. There is no new revelation. He is not giving a dream to, you know, write a new chapter in the Bible to do some, you know, heroic act. I've traveled to many lands, and I've seen many strange things. And I've got to say, I know we're living in the end times. That I do know. I don't understand all the thing about dreams and all of that, but I know personally many people that have come to Christ because God, so they say, not I say, they had a dream, and they were really spooked. And God got a hold of their heart using that. 